Well, Heavenly Father, the past week have been filled with uncertainties. Father, we've got immediate needs pressing. Oh, Father, how we would so often like to not have to call upon you just because we're in need. Father, we pray that you found us faithful in offering prayer up time to time for those that are yours, keeping the faith as those of us who are called have set apart ourselves and our lives and our ways that we might remember you, serve you, trust in you, and count upon you all things that we do in our daily lives. Father, we've got a prayer need this evening for Judy's mother who just took another header. And so, Father, we ask for your blessed holiness, guidance, care, and healing hand upon for every being of fiber and head that she's so hard hit on the floor today. Pray for her healing of her wrist and arm where she got some abrasions in the fall. Pray, Father, that uh, we'll just reach in and touch this elderly, frail body and, and give it all the strength that it needs, calm, the repose, and the quiet that it needs that it can rest, a mind that's totally agitated in this disease and even hardly comprehend anything around, including her own body's needs and rest. She has got a couple of decent nights rest, Father, and we thank you for that. You ask, Father, that tonight's rest will be good Everything is just as it is. She's just got a bruise and everything as best the faculties can be right now. We're on a road that from a few weeks ago in a very, very tough state into a condition that was starting to level out and become a little bit more like it had been. Father, we sure didn't need to have this happen, and we ask for your forgiveness for our negligence in any way and her mercy to found in her body and in her members. Father, we do pray also for Esther and those surgeons, Father, that are working on that eye. Looked at this wonderful, magnificent body that you've given us, and eye is so intricate and so delicate and so immensely perfect. Father, we know that we don't want anything to happen for Esther in this surgery, and or at least we thank you for the blessing you gave on the surgery, and we don't want anything if the surgeons do decide that that second eye is possible ask for your abundant care in all the decision-making processes. And Father, we know that 
sometimes there's things that happen to us and we don't understand and we certainly put them up to prayer ask that you might hear those prayers and our corrective needs and actions come upon us and we just know that there's abundance of blessings that we see everywhere in all the things that you do do, guiding us to the proper people, directing things in our lives so as to make sure that during the time of need we are, we have the financial needs already taken care of and met. No, we need to get back to work. And so, Father, we just put all of this in prayer for Esther that abide with him as he used to remember you and dwell safely in your arms and in your grace. Father, we put these things that are immediate needs of health concern before you, and we certainly pray for the other things that we're dealing with. Isaac's got a big move coming up, and Father, my my own mother has asked for us to be present, and I pray that you'll continue to dwell in her and keep her strong and safe as well. We're going to try to honor those wishes, Father, and have a lot on the plate that for knowing our needs fighting for all that we need to accommodate her wishes as well and the so to get on to this age father you her want to honor those requests doesn't make them lightly usually and doesn't make many of them. Her whole health and one's health, care, loving grace and kindness. A multitude of things, I guess, Father, that we need the past few days. Calling on you and grace and guidance and blessing travels involved in this as well for other family members Father we just put all of those travel plans in front of you thank you for knowing the needs that I have in them and caring for each and every one Thank you for this time, Father, that we can share with one another. Talk about your word. Share with each other our understanding in it. Strengthen ourselves in it that we might be able to share that with others. Might come to, to know and, and you. Fellowships. 
So these things we put before you in prayer. Oh, Brother Rich will be traveling back in the next week or two as well. We need guidance and protection in that travel back to Massachusetts. Amen. We ask for those. Ask for those needs to be met. Well, well that's our wish as Father. Again, we have to always call upon you when we're in those hours of need. But we uh, certainly feel it here these last few weeks. Thank you for knowing our needs and being guided and direct. Thanking you in advance for all that you're already putting in place and already have in knowledge of our needs. Bless the holy name of your Son. We ask these things. Brought to you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we serve an awesome God and serve you who is willing and able to do anything we ask as long as it's in his purview. We thank you, Father, for all these challenges that you give us because you never let us down. And we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. We praise him and glorify him. We give him thanks and praise. You are awesome. Amen. 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 Well, good evening again, everyone. And for those that are joining by archives and so forth we do hope and trust that you will put those prayers and prayer requests that we've had and shared with you from time to time in these archives that you keep those matters in your thoughts and in your prayers just uh grateful to be here and have some time to fellowship and dig into the word talk about it Share with each other what we learn in it and be edified by it. So, I uh, didn't mean to be so heavy here, but uh, a lot of things just coalesced here in the last uh, 30 minutes. So, it's one of those things. So, anyhow, um, I don't know if anybody had any particular thoughts or something specific that they were thinking of or because of the times or the situation here this evening that inspires a certain thought or anything that you want to lead off with or anything, why certainly feel free. Otherwise, I've been kind of lean because I've been rather preoccupied this week myself with the cares of the world and the needs of the day and I haven't 
done as much work as I'd like to do and get done for the fellowship. But um, I will put it out there and see if somebody has something they want to share or go with. And if not, we'll we'll, uh, share with you some thoughts I had on some notes that I'd taken over the past few weeks and didn't really put them all together in any specific way or under any specific title or plan. Uh, well, this thing here is just, you know, we know from the book of Psalms, I believe every single one of the Psalms, specifically either speaks of the law of God or the ways of God, certainly every one of them speaks to the truth and the validity of his law, his, his divine immutable plan. And Psalms 19 is one of the good ones that you almost want to just have memorized down in your core. Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There's no speech nor language, for their voice is not heard. The line has gone out throughout all the earth, and the words into the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man on a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit under the ends of it. There's nothing hid thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. Testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Statutes of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. Commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. Judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping that of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret fault. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent 
the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Yahweh, my strength and my redeemer. That's pretty pretty succinct, isn't it? But according to some of the New Testament Christians, they have bought the lie that the law is done away. Let's see, Jeremiah 31 is... Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hands to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, says Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And Hebrews 8.8. 8 that confirmation of what we read prophesied in Jeremiah. For if that first covenant, Hebrews 8, chapter, Hebrews 8, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says Yahweh. It's so important that every professing Christian understand these three companion passages, if you will, Psalms 19, Jeremiah chapter 31, and Hebrews chapter 8. Because there is a new law, or rather a new covenant, a, a new agreement. And it is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
you can make no mistake about this. As a professing Christian, that what we understand from this biblical record is he dealt with a particular people in the Old Testament and he promised those people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that even for breaking that covenant, he was going to forgive that sin and that he was going to have a new covenant. Same people. There's no escaping it. And it's high time professing Christians, both biblical Israelites and non-Israelites, professing to know God, to love God, and to serve God, understand that there are those that hate that this God of creation, this God of Jacob Israel, forgave their sin and gave them a new covenant to bring them back and again. Matthew chapter 5. The reason I'm going over this is because this is the gospel message. This is the good news. 5.18 Tell heaven, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in any wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. We're still living on the earth. The heavens of the heavens are still in existence because the firmament still separates. That even Psalms 19 spoke of. So when you think about it, if the law is done away, Heaven and earth have passed. Verse 19. If the law is done away, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So if the law is done away, and one teaches that it is, will that individual be least in the kingdom or will he be great in the kingdom? Turn over to chapter 7.
verse 21. If the law is done away, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you don't know God. You certainly don't know his will. And you cannot know God because you practice lawlessness. 721 of Matthew. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out demons. In thy name done many wonderful works. I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What that is in the Greek is you that practice anomianism. A nomianism. Nomianism being law, a nomianism meaning anti law. Flip over to John. Chapter 14. If the law is done away, you do not love Jesus. nor do you abide in his love. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Fifteen ten. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And of course, don't forget Romans 2.20. Go there. sticking on me for Romans 2 verse 20 in 220 we have an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes has the form of knowledge and of the truth in law so if the law is done away How can we see truth in the law? Uh, Turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there should be no flesh justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If the law is done away, you cannot know sin. You cannot know sin without the law. If the law is done away, you're voiding the law. Just drop right down there in verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. While we're in Romans, let's just keep going. I've got this section in my Bible completely marked up. It's seven. Well, Paul's complaint, verse 8, chapter 7, verse 8, um, just by way of review, chapter 7, verse 1, in our study in the book of Hosea, know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. This is all pertaining to that story, greatest love story of the ages that the prophet Hosea told us about. So later here in 7, Paul says, well, let's stop down at 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment wrought in the manner of wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which was good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me, that which is good, that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. You know, I was thinking about this this afternoon. In the biblical record, there there exists an injunction to love one's neighbor as oneself. Now, the word injunction, as I used it here, it's an instance of enjoining. Uh, It's an admonition to action. So to love one's neighbor as oneself is the admonition, and it requires an action. 
And so this is a positive action. It's a mutually benefiting action. And it provides for an equitable distribution of life's actions. And it's for the well-being of the whole. When we take law, which is the knowledge of sin, and cast it away without an understanding of what it is that we're saying if we're going to take a scriptural reference and throw it out there and build a theological doctrine around it, we really need to be asking the question, like I say, in my own little model that I've developed over my years of study, whether it doctrines, parables, allegories, visions, prophecies or metaphors, and even scripture itself, we must remember we can't be misled to interpret them contrary to the laws of God or contrary to the biblical historical record. So how can we have this mutual relationship, mutual action, enjoin, you know, this enjoining or injunction, how can we have this if we don't have a system which presents what's actually good? We have a constitution in the United States of America that we've been told is good. The greatest document ever constructed by the mind of man. You know, I don't really know if that's true or not because I, I haven't been around for thousands of years. But I do know this much it's probably true because I think that's the best that the mind of man can do. I think it really means something to say we can't know God because we practice lawlessness, anomianism. We can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We can't profess to know God. We can't love Jesus, the Son, or abide in his love that the Father and he would both abide in us? We can't see the truth in the law. Because we're a law unto ourselves. We 
can't even recognize and understand and see that we are voiding the law. We are saying that the law must not be holy. Yet Romans 7.12 says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just and good. Just the next page over, perhaps in your Bible it is for me. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh after the Spirit. How is it if the law is done away, how can we be fulfilling the righteousness of the law? How can we actually walk after the Spirit? If the law is done away, Go ahead and continue. Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, is none of his. Christ be in you, the body is dead because of the sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. If the law is done away, 
we're walking carnally and are clearly at enmity with God. Turn with me to First Timothy one. But we know, verse eight, but we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, or men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. If the law is done away, then we disregard that the law is good when used lawfully. Turn to First John, chapter two. And hereby do we know, verse three, First John two three. Hereby do we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. If the law is done away. can't possibly know him. If we don't keep his commandments, we clearly don't know him. First John chapter 5. Whosoever believes, verse 1, that Jesus is, the Christ, Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loves him that yet loves him and also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. If the law is done away, we can't love the children of God. 
Because it is when we love the children of God that we show we love God and keep his commandments. And so as I was thinking about this and the wicked and the wicked day imparting their rule the world over, and it dovetailed, quite frankly, off of what we saw last week or what we talked about last week there um, in... um, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Something that I think that gets missed out of that story of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is that I know we've talked about it before and stuff, but this was a king who made a decree, and that's what we've talked about before, made the decree. But what I'm thinking that we haven't really thought much on is the fact that not only did he want the worship of the statute to bow down to it, think of our world situation that we find ourselves in. We have those that hate God and hate the people of God. Those who love his commandments and want to keep his commandments, even while they profess that they observe all those things, but obviously do not because we know them by their fruits. And so I think sometimes the thing that's missing in that story is it wasn't just so much that made the decree and he sought the worship in our own situation today we have these bail economic deities that are commanding We observe their tower, their statutes that they have built on the backs of the people. That they have taken the ill-gotten gain from all of the practices of the ungodly ways of unrighteousness, usury all manners and forms of financial games, taxation, unlawful taxations. And the list goes on and on and on. And that's what I think sometimes we miss in the stories. We get so caught up in reading of the stories that we fail to recognize it in real time. And so the purpose of this little discourse here about the law being done away, hopefully it it triggers in our mind an understanding of why it is so important for us to recognize the command, the statutes, judgments, and that they can't possibly be done away. 
there's a body of evidence so huge in the biblical record for us, it defies credulity that we could be so ignorant, so blind, or so obtuse to it. Five three of First John. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. If the law is done away, we think his commandments are grievous. If the law is done away, we cannot love God's children. And so wherever you see the law done away, you must understand those who seek to have those laws done away do not love God and do not love children of God intending, anticipating, trying to live in accordance with his will, his word, and his commands. If the law has been done away, flip over to Revelation chapter 12. And there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Here we are now 2,000 years removed from our Redeemer and King redeeming us with his precious blood, buying back the children of the house of Israel and the house of Judah into a new covenant with them that we mentioned here at Hebrews 8.8 earlier this fellowship. These accusers of the brethren were cast out, cast down.
go to the book, the last chapter, book of Revelation. If the law is done away, this is what we cannot do. 2214. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. If the law is done away, One cannot have access to the city or the tree of life. You go to Galatians chapter 5 as well, probably Matthew 11. And we actually just read Psalms 19. I have a footnote by that myself of Psalms 19, Matthew, or uh, Revelation 22, 14. That's why it's important for us when we have our conversations with people that we do not let someone get away with, well, the law is done away. We've just now discussed, I don't know, maybe close to two dozen scriptures, which convincingly teach us all of the things that we cannot have or have access to or abide with the Father if we have believed a doctrine that says the law is done away. And I hey, know Jack. that... Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Yes, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt like that. Um I was going to say one of the biggest troubles, and I know it's it's a lack on my part of studying, but when I get into arguments or discussions with people is really identifying which part of the laws have been been fulfilled and then which part of the law is still in effect. And um, typically what I go to is, you know, the, the... the moral laws in Leviticus, uh, you know, I point those out and I'm like, those those are still in effect. You you know, you you can't, you know, just some to list off the top of my head is you can't go be with your mother. You're not going to go be with your brother. You know, th- those laws are still in effect. Right. But I, I didn't... <laughs> I keep hearing you say the law, and I just didn't know if there was far as some clarification um, as to, like, is there an easy way to kind of summarize which ones have been fulfilled and which ones are are still in effect? Well, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, it does, it does open uh, further study, obviously. And... Right. Uh, but you're right. You're right to point out, um, as, as you're saying in your discussions and where contentions may arise, you try to lead them back to something that they could maybe sink their their teeth into and say, 
Okay, I kind of see what you're saying, Esther. Uh, these actually can't be gone or done away. There, there's certainly some very scriptural and valid moral uh, principles here in the scriptures. The reason I'm saying the law done away is because that's what has captured the minds of the modern Christian is the doctrine, if you will, that the law has been done away. And you're right. You point out and you say, well, what law are we actually dealing with? And frankly, it's the Mosaic Law Covenant because that covenant had to be destroyed and had to be put away. And the way that it actually became destroyed and put away was because that Mosaic Law Covenant was a marriage agreement with God with the house of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel before we had two houses or two tribes, house of Israel and the house of Judah. And so I understand what you're doing, trying to bring people back into some cognizant awareness that, hey, if the law is done away, I would do the same thing and have done the same thing. I say to people all the time, well, do you believe the Ten Commandments? You, know, you can have a person professing to be a Christian say to you, well, wasn't the law done away? And you say, well, what do you mean when you say that? Well, the law was done away in Christ. The scripture says so. And, and so you say, well, in order to understand what you're saying, are you saying that Ten Commandments are put away or that the Ten Commandments are not? And the, Absolutely all the time they'll say, oh, no, 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 absolutely not. Well, then all these scriptures that we just went through where it says his commandment is true and holy and so forth, well, what is the command? What are the commandments? And we can summarize everything without even getting into Leviticus or anything else. Christ said, which is what I kind of started here with, or I said that, you know, there's a mountain of biblical record that exists that we're to love one's neighbor as ourselves. So loving God first and loving our neighbor as ourselves, Christ said, upon these two hinge all the law and the prophets. So the, I think you and I both acknowledge and understand that people, when they say something like that, they don't necessarily know why it is that they're saying it other than it must be that a doctrine has been or a piece of propaganda has been peddled to them and they are repeating what they've heard. And so, yeah, there's multiple ways I think that we approach it. And this is one of the ways that I was kind of selecting to approach that thought and that theology was through the abundance of these scriptures that we went through here just uh, in the last you know, 40 minutes or so. And just like you said, you can go back to Leviticus and say, well, these are pretty decent moral laws, aren't they? Do you think these are done away? And what are the answers that you get when you ask people that? Um, Should we still... Typically, ahead, the answers sir. I get back are, <clears throat> you know, well, of course, of course not. You know, of course you wouldn't do that. But 
you know, that's when people just think that that's common sense instead of really thinking, oh, you know, maybe that is a law that we, you know, it's, we we need to abide by. They just think, well, of course you wouldn't do that with your mom, or you know what I mean. Right. They try to right. to act like it's just common sense, and that there's yeah, nothing they, actually pinned on paper. Right. They rationalize it as well. You know that that's just good old common sense, and and therefore yeah. you know no one should be opposed to that. Well, then then we have to say, okay, so. So, you know, it comes kind of kind of back to the law that we operate under in our country. If the law says that you have freedom of speech and freedom of speech is the right to uh, proselytize people with pornography, mm-hmm. are, you, are you entitled to do that, you see? Because they say that comes under the First Amendment free speech. Free speech, you have a right to free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, all these other uh, things. And so, therefore, if you were to say, well, no, we're not going to have publications like that, number one, or uh, anything else, then, well, that's taking away the right of free speech. So now we're right back into another quandary where we have to say, okay, well, then where's the definition of what the morality is to be? Or... Who right. actually gets to divine the morality? And mm-hmm. therein lies, once again, man having to either subjugate the law, statutes, and commandments with something of its own, or it has to acknowledge that God's law, statutes, and judgments are indeed, as Psalms 19 says, altogether holy, perfect, righteous, and good. Well, right. I get, I got from a guy saying, oh, so you believe we should still sacrifice animals because that's, that's Old Testament. And then we, we both agree that that's not necessary. Um, and then we come back to where you just said about loving your neighbor. Do you remember what you just said, Doug? Mm-hmm. I do. The summary of the law. And so now they want to throw this interracial crap on you. And I'm telling you right now, when we see it where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, that word doesn't mean your next door neighbor necessarily. You see, that's what they think. But I can tell you, a more sensible approach is your people. You love your people, your family, your people. Now, you know, you're not condemned to have to love people that hate Jesus Christ because they live near you in proximity. And that's what they want to make you believe. And if you don't do that, you're not keeping the law, so you're fake, a phony, whatever. Do you see the dilemma? Well, yeah, and and I kind of covered that a little bit, as I, I mentioned in the biblical record. There's this there's this injunction to love mm-hmm. one's neighbor as oneself. Well, the injunction is 
an instance of enjoining. That's what injunction means. It's an admonition as to action. So Mm -hmm. if, and we can take the racial component out of it and we can say, okay, we're all one people. If that's what you want to believe or whatever, let's take your example and now let me apply the principle. If we are going to conclude, as the biblical record suggests, that the two principal components are to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second mm-hmm. is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself, then mm-hmm. I look at, I would be required to look at another individual and am admonished to an action. And what is that action? It's a mutually benefiting action. It's an equitable distribution of that life's action, which is that person looks at me as if he would want to do no injury or harm to me. I look at that person as he, I would like to do no injury or harm to that person. That is a mutually benefiting relationship. So they can throw their racial stuff at you all you want. Now, if you're going to teach another people, a clan, a tribe, a group, let's say that Russell is of the tribe of... Kingabites. Okay, Russell is of the tribe of the Kingabites. Okay. Uh, No, let's call them uh, the Kingshires. All right. So Russell's of the family of the Kingshires, and Mm -hmm. Doug's of the family of the Danites, or the sons of Neil, or the sons of Neil. Okay, Um, and now there's another who's of the son of the Hittite. Tradition. Okay. Okay, so Russell and I look at each other the same way in terms of the law. I'm not to do Mm -hmm. him harm. He's not to do me harm. We look at each other as a mutually benefiting relationship. The problem comes in when neither Russell or myself are capable of understanding that the, what did I use as my example? I already forgot it. Uh, The adverse component, the the, Yeah, the the adverse component. The Hittite. Okay, the Hittite or whatever, the the outside one who does not see you as a neighbor and does not see me as a neighbor and will actually do whatever is necessary to have the Kingshire clan and the Sons of Neil clan clash with each other by pitting something uh, against them even using mm-hmm. the law itself to present an idea in their minds that something is not equitable. For example, the other group of individuals, the other clan out here called the uh, um, Goober clan, the Goober clan says, well, you're not equitable. You haven't treated me equitable. You practice goober, or you practice anti-gooberism. Mm-hmm. And well, what is your foundation for that? It doesn't matter if I have a foundation. 
um, everything that you do is all predicated and based upon your foundation and your belief. What about my foundation and my belief? Well, your foundation and your belief is not based upon this foundation or this belief. Well, why shouldn't my foundation and belief be based on, uh, shouldn't be validated in this equation? And therein lies the problem. That's why we were told why we had to be separated and why the separation was necessary so that you could abide in the will of the righteousness of will of the Father. And so we're right back to the same situation where the Guberites, the Kingshires, the sons of Neil, and the Arborvites and the Hittites, they can't commingle together because they don't observe and abide in the same will. And, and that's, that's it. And it's, yeah. Therein lies the problem. There's a family of adversaries. That's what we'd call the Gubarats or the Hittites. They're adversarial right. toward our God. Right? Exactly. And, and they're adversarial, therefore, then to us. So we cannot coexist. It's impossible. You know, Here's, here's the best example of this. And as I say, we get so caught up sometimes in stories, we don't mm-hmm. even understand the lesson in the story. We just read the story, mm-hmm. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, beginning at verse 1, John 15, Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he purges the branch that it may bring forth more fruit. You are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. No more can you that you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can't do anything. If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them Cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This is wherein my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. The fruitless branches it's intended our superficial adherence or growth above the, uh, upon that vine. If the vine, that is Christ, has life and us, a branch that goes from that vine get to be pruned so that they can grow more. The dead branches 
are cut off and they're no longer on the vine. So to abide yet on the vine, fruits got to spring forth on the branch. We can't expect to abide in him or him in us because we can't bear fruit apart from the vine. The, the works themselves aren't the fruit. It's our union with Jesus as he is the source. He's the vine. He's well, the life. I, He's and the I'm vein. thinking the, the fruit is in chapter 8. You talk about fruit. Yeah, your father, my father in heaven is glorified. That's got to be a fruitful situation, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It says, by this action, my Father is glorified. Or by this, and what is the this? Is the abiding, right? Yeah, simple, simple, practical obedience. That's that's how mm-hmm. we abide in the vine. And when we See, do that, the Father is glorified. And right. When, right. You got, when you keep Daddy happy, you don't have any problems, do you, Doug? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember how you used to keep your dad happy? Yeah. A good guy to be around, wasn't he? Right. Now remember when you didn't, when you displeased him, he wasn't all that great. I mean, and since since we referred to Matthew or John chapter eight, back to seven where we were a little bit earlier, seven twenty-two to twenty-three, and uh, of of John, and a reminder to us. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in John. I meant to be in Matthew. Okay, well, you had me going there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I was... I was thinking I was in the same book because I had a note here for Matthew and you were, you mentioned John 8 and so I flipped over there and then I realized that I uh, not in intending to be in Matthew, but Matthew 8. 7 Matthew 7 22 and 23 and um not everyone that says uh, well, we read that earlier many will say unto me in that day lord lord um uh, have we not prophesied in your name? Okay, that's a work, isn't it? Uh, in thy, thy name have we cast out devils. That's a work, isn't it? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Well, there again, we have our answer. So these referred to here were full of good works, but they practiced lawlessness. He says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work 
iniquity in the King James. The word in the Greek mm-hmm. is anomianism. Again, nomianism being law and a nomianism being a anti-law. So he's clearly told us right there in those those scriptures that we've been reviewing that these things have to be done. Um, as I was mentioning on the the vine. Uh, brings to mind Isaiah. Flip with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Let's read um, probably the first half a dozen here of 5.1. Here I begin. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard a very fruitful hill. He fenced it, gathered it out of stones thereof, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. He looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that the rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. <coughs> what, what more should I have done in my vineyard that I did not do that my vineyard should produce not wild grapes, but be a fruitful vine. So when I look at this country here, I guess I see it as bringing forth wild grapes. I don't see it being a fruitful vine. And I can have the same idea that others have and say, well, I'm still glad I'm an American because it's the best place on earth to live. At least you know you're free. And if I don't really know what other places on earth there is to live, then I guess I don't know whether that's actually true or not. If my country has propagated propaganda that says, this is the greatest country on earth and I know nothing about other countries on earth. I got to be considering that I might be believing a lie. I can safely tell you that I've been to a few places on earth, but I haven't been to very many. I have been outside of this country But that's not the point. 
the point is what he said right here. If he sees America as, how did he put it? I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge. So if he had a hedge here once, and he takes away the hedge, and the nation becomes eaten up, and becomes broken down because he's taken down the wall of protection, and he's expecting it to be trodden down, and that he's going to lay it to waste, and that it will not be pruned, it will not be digged, and there will come up briars and thorns, he's going to command it. If he did it once, will he do it again? Why would I want to test him to do that? The scriptures were regarding the vine, Jeremiah 2.21, Ezekiel 19.10, even Psalms 80, verses 8 to 16. So God's world order is forgotten. His world order is not taught. And yet men see others talking about their world order. And all of those that are talking about that is because they have done away with all of God's law and order. You know... That's important word that you just said, law and order, because they're the ones that tout this new world law and order. Mm-hmm. And it's the same old thing out of the garden, isn't it? Well, it's clearly adversarial to his will. It's clearly mm-hmm. adversarial to his command. Well, And so we should God, not stop speaking about why it is and who it is that is prevaricating it. God told Eve, here's order. Here's how you achieve order. This is my order. Don't do this one thing. And here came along New world order guy, thing, it. And convinced her that God's order wasn't good enough. You ought to try this new order where you just shove the apples, whatever. It's this, It doesn't change is what I'm trying to say. The lie. All right, Um, I've got to break here now um, as we started out the fellowship with some some pretty difficult things here in the household. So um, we're going to need to close out this evening. And um, 
quit Judy's mother uh, before fall. And uh, uh, have you all keep her I in want- prayer tonight? And I'm I'm going to have to ask for us to have some closing prayer and have to conclude for tonight. Uh, if I can get her into a more restful situation. Okay. Yes. Let me start, please, with the prayer. Lord, thank you so much for what you've allowed us to hear tonight. Father, Judy's mom, we hold her up, and we ask you to intervene and that your will be done in her life. Lord, we hold up tonight, my son, Texas. He's going through something, some kind of poison, some kind of virus, and it's it's attacking him, and Lord, we want that stopped. And we go to you first and ask first to intervene on our behalf. Because you are our God. And people talk about the Savior, Lord. You, you're, you're a good God. So save us from these things that we don't understand. But we plead to you for help, Jesus. And that's also for Esther's eyes, Lord. Intervene on his behalf. Please, Jesus, in your name, I ask it. Heavenly Father, oh, how tonight seems to have been a night of needs. And Father, we've lifted it all to you in prayer, and we just reconfirm everything for Texas, all that's going around the whole nation, Father, for your people. Father, we ask that you provide protection for all that are yours that seek to abide in your will. And Father, forgive us. Give us where we have failed to abide in that will. Forgive us for where we have failed to acknowledge our own duties and responsibilities. That up to you and say, Father, forgive us. Amen. Grant us repentance that we might be those things. And Father, we lift all of these needs, the health needs of these. Thank you for knowing those needs and what remedies are and your hand upon each and every one of them. All to you, Father. We Amen. trust in you. We apologize we for not giving you glory and thanks. As we he'd see those prayers answered and cast it uh, as if it's other days sometimes. Glory and more praise. And so, Father, now the hours come. And so, Father, we pray for the continued protection throughout the night. For Father, we thank you for this hour. Asking these things yeah. in the blessed holy name of Amen. All right. All right.
right, everyone. Will you all have a good evening? Keep your prayers strong. Keep everybody close. And we'll catch up with you next week. I'll give some updates. Good night. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night.